Witches, wizards and muggles. Such an honour it is to welcome you to... Renovate, a Harry Potter TCG Revival Podcast. With your host, Doug, Nona and... Thank you very much for that introduction, Dobby. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for the first episode of Renovate, a Harry Potter TCG revival podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Doug Coleman, and I'm here today with the other co-hosts. Mona Morsi. Emilio, Emilio Soto Soto. Yes, and we are here today to talk about uh, a passion we have for this trading card game and... Uh, before we dive into the history of this trading card game, I think it's important for you as a listener to get to know your hosts a little bit better. So we're kind of going to go roundtable and discuss how we found the trading card game and even more importantly, what Harry Potter means to us. So I guess that being said, let's maybe start off with Mona. <laughs> okay, sounds good. Yeah, so, uh, so what does Harry Potter mean to me? Well... I, like many of you out there, grew up uh, reading the books and absolutely fell in love with the magical world of Harry Potter, all the characters and the creatures and everything about it. Um, I actually, on a, um, I guess I won't dive too deep into it, but Harry Potter helped me become an efficient reader, and I can dive into that in a a different episode perhaps, but um, I really kind of gathered this like romantic and intimate relationship with the books uh, as a young kid because um, I listened to Jim Dale read the book to me and I would read along and it was just a phenomenal experience for every single one uh, and I absolutely loved it. And then as I got a little bit older and I saw the uh, trading cards, I was like, wow, what is this? And of course, you know, at the time you had Pokemon, all these other trading cards and so just for for Harry Potter to have a trading card on its own was was absolutely phenomenal. So um, yeah, I absolutely love the cards. I love the art. I love playing the game. I'm a collector and absolutely uh, am in love with it. Yeah, absolutely. I I'm, I I can relate a bit here. Uh, I grew up with the books as well. I felt like I was the same age as Harry Potter growing up and seeing the movies come out in theaters. It was just really cool to grow up alongside that, that cast of characters. And yeah, that book was another way that I grew really close with my mother over like nerdy content. I feel like that was something she said to me just the other day. She was like, I'm so <laughs> grateful you got me into things like Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Cause I know I probably wouldn't have been into this stuff otherwise. And she really, we kind of bonded over Harry Potter specifically, but uh, Emilio, how about you? How did you find Harry Potter? Yeah, definitely for me, it has sort of like a mix of your both of your experiences. So in my case, my mom introduced me to Harry Potter. Oh, <laughs> so cool. I was so cool. not interested in Harry Potter at all. But I've always been interested in sort of magical stuff. And like I collected rocks and like magical symbols when I was a, a kid. So Harry Potter's just like, you know, she was like, you will like this. And I'm like, no. And then like for a fourth time, then I said, okay. And she explained me the first book and I was like, oh, that sounds good. And I started to read and we, you know, from there on, we watched the movies. We did everything that was Harry Potter related with it together. And my room was just a cluster pack rat nest of Harry <laughs> Potter yeah. cards, Yu-Gi-Oh cards, because I was a, mainly a Yu-Gi-Oh player, Pokemon cards, and just random potion bottles and stuff like that. So I grew up with Harry Potter as well. It was a big part of my childhood. Um, and yeah, I love the card game, which has such 
cool art that's not based on the movies, right? So, exactly. Really so cool, cool take. Yeah, that's one of the best things about it. So let, now that you guys have a little bit more information on us as your hosts, let's kind of dive into the history of this game. Each episode of this podcast, we're going to kind of have a focus. Uh, specifically, this one tonight is going to be history of Harry Potter trading card game. And I guess a good place to start is when did this game come around and who was responsible for creating it? So, yeah, okay, so I guess the the creators are Wizards of the Coast, which is uh, the same company that uh, created uh, Pokemon, Magic the Gathering, all of these kind of big-name TCGs, and it came out in August of 2001. It was set to um, be released with, this, with the theatrical premiere of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Uh, so, yeah, Wizards of the Coast did a great job uh, with, with this TCG for sure. Yeah, definitely. And that's one thing I wanted to ask you guys was they also had promo cards that were coming out with the movies. When you saw the movies in theaters, did you happen to get a promo card at that time? I did not because back home in Puerto Rico, it's a mess. When there, whenever there was a promo about anything like the Mew from Pokemon, the movie, the really cool Mew or oh, yeah. any promo cards, they were not. I think people just either they didn't get it because Puerto Rico at that time was sort of like not a state so like a lot of promotions did not apply so a lot of the promo cards did not get to puerto rico at least for the movies for the leagues i did i did collect the leagues because i was part of the harry potter league and they did have the promos yeah awesome that is so cool i i didn't either i knew that uh they did come out with the premiere but i did not personally get on that bandwagon i of course i i wish i did but yeah. Me too. That's <laughs> I was turning 11 years old uh on November 30th in 2001. So I think the movie was more or less like the 15th or 16th. Mm-hmm. So I think I missed like opening week and I feel like had we gone to the theater earlier than my birthday, we might have got one of those promo cards. Yeah, the 14th. <laughs> but they're right. probably long gone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, plus yeah, plus you, you know, there's there's always a craze and it's like even now as an adult, I realize like all the kids that are really into this, of course, but even as an adult, I'm like, I'm going to get to the front of the line. I'm going to drive there. I'm not going to rely on my parents, you know, so I'm sure there's a lot of adults that stole those promo cards too, and it is what it is. It's just part of the game, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So that all being said, we are such big Harry Potter fans. I want to ask, what are your thoughts on how does this card game live up to the franchise that is, or the brand that is Harry Potter? Well, I think that, you know, I'm a big geek for flavor in terms of card games and, you know, how the mechanics sort of reflect the world that they're trying to represent. I do that for all card games that I cover and all the card games I collect because Harry and, and, well, and Harry Potter is, I think, one of the best card games at doing that, to be really, really honest, because you can see that they took care of having the rule of, for example, like your wizard can never be removed. I can tell you from now, a lot of games don't care for that. You know, you have your main piece and they'll, re- they'll remove it and they don't care. But Harry Potter lets it, lives it in play. It's almost role play-ish, right? Because you're the wizard and you're directly casting and you always have access to. And just the, the, the concept of even decking out in the game, which is how you defeat your opponent. Mm-hmm. In all games that you play, decking out is always related to sort of like, when your knowledge ends, right? So I really like that that's sort of the real, you know, the how you end the game is when your opponent has nothing else that they know, so to speak, right? Mm. When you've exhausted all their resources and 
there you win. So I really like that concept and not having life points or stuff like that, with which other other games have. Mm-hmm. But what about you, Mona or or Doug? Like, what do you like about the you know the whole flavor of the game? Well, specifically, the artwork is just absolutely captivating. I'm sure we're all going to agree on that 100%. aspect of the game. It's just it's just jaw droppingly good. And like uh, you alluded to earlier, is it's based off of the books, so it's before you even had the influence of the movies, like affecting these artists' like uh, portrayals of these characters and ideas and items and stuff. So the artwork is probably the most captivating thing about the game to me. And I think that's what drew me to it as an 11 year old. I was just like, I I didn't have enough friends back then that were collecting card games, specifically that one that I'd be able to play the game with. So I was basically just getting the cards just to collect the artwork and be like, and admire them and be like, look how cool these are. But now as a 31 year old adult, and I'm playing the game, uh, the artwork just does such a fantastic job of like, displaying what you're actually doing and tying it all together to the universe. So I, like you said, it is very much like a role play aspect of, I feel like I am the character I'm playing in that universe, doing all of these adventures and uh, going to these locations. So to me, I think they knocked it out of the park, at at least where they were going with uh, trying to make it feel fleshed out in this universe. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm, I'm totally with you on that. You know, I am not much of a, um, TCG in general player like I when I when the Pokemon cards came out for example like I collected those mostly because like they looked cool and I liked the images but I didn't have anybody around me to play the game I didn't build decks I didn't know any of that honestly I don't even know how to play Pokemon I have no idea me neither yeah I'm right there yeah so um so the same thing happened with Harry Potter because I was so immersed in this world. I mean, it was like I like like you said, Doug. Like you really felt like you were Harry Potter. You know what I mean? Like I could I could really relate to uh, to that character because for me it was like you know Harry Potter was kind of ostracized, and so I kind of understood where that was and and how he felt. And so the imagination as a young child and as an adult, um, like my imagination would just soar with Hogwarts and the creatures and the adventures and everything. And then when this card game came out, it was like everything that I thought was right here in front of me on this card. You know, you would have like what Ron looked like and what Hermione looked like. And I was like, yeah, like that's it. Albus Dumbledore, you know, and I was like, oh, and then, and then of course, you know, Minerva McGonagall. And I'm just going to say like the artist did a really good job at like forecasting what she would look like. Cause some of those drawings look like Maggie Smith. I'm just going to say, Oh, Yeah, but um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's 100% the art for me because the imagination that I had as a young kid lives in these cards, lives in the booster boxes, in the in the wrappers, in the posters, and everything, all of the merchandise, and that's why I love the old school and like the vintage merchandise that you would find because I feel the same way about the art for that too. You know, when it starts to come from the movies, it's it's nice, of course, but you know, having Daniel Radcliffe on something is very different than having Harry Potter on something. Th- those, yes, those are two different course. things for me. And so, uh, so yeah, I totally, uh, that, so, so as far as like answering the question, you know, like, does it live up to the Harry Potter brand? For me, it does. The card game and some of the vintage merchandise that uses the same art as the card game are one of the few things that actually, uh, live up to the brand for, for Harry Potter. Yeah, and do it justice. Absolutely. Exactly, yeah. I feel like for a lack of better words, it's magical. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> it is. It's, and that, wow. and that's, it's captivating. Wow. Like, that's what it should be. Yeah. No one fruit. Okay, it's first episode, <laughs> so I guess it's okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we'll sign off now. I have to make a disclaimer, though, because I, I love Maggie Smith, and I love yes. the art of, of the card, but the card looks like Maggie Smith had, like, 
a visit to LA and got plastic surgery because it's really <laughs> tight. You know, it's like yes. Well, that's how she's yeah. described in the games. Yes, yes, exactly. Lips. So yep. or in the books, I, I no, said games. For sure. <laughs> no, for sure. A little different from the movies, but still a great actress. I love her portrayal, but just, yeah. just uh, you know. Well, and that's actually an interesting thing about the fact that Wizards of the Coast is responsible for this game. I feel like I was doing some research myself, and it seems like they may have had some kind of insider information or been directly in contact with J.K. Rowling herself. Only reason I speculate that is because certain cards, uh, like Professor Flitwick and um, uh, Madam Hooch, we learn their first name through the card. I honestly don't think that it's anywhere in canon, their first name. So we have Professor Phileas Flitwick, and we have Madam Rolanda Hooch. So those two first names uh, weren't anywhere established in canon, but then I think it was like solidified elsewhere. That, And I think somehow people were speculating that it's like Wizards must have talk to jk rowling to get that information it's really cool that that's how that might have panned out yeah no that that that's a really good point and you know i'm not too sure about like copyright infringement or any of that kind of stuff but i would assume that they might have had to to, to some degree get some information from her just as far as saying hey we're going to make a harry potter trading card game um but then you know on that same conversation can you give us some info so that it can sort of add to the magic because at that time yes. we had you know like just um, the books and, and all that, but yeah, adding, adding more of, of the magical part to it. Uh, but yeah, that's a good point. Definitely. Very interesting little tidbit of information there. So, and yeah, I just love it. Yeah. Um, and just, just quickly about that. Like maybe they did have access to the script more than anything from, mm-hmm. or information from the movie makers, right? Because they do say those names in the movies, like the full oh, name. That's right. So, Maybe also that link there potentially. Uh, and just a disclaimer, another disclaimer, since we're bringing up, uh, you know, the author of the books. Uh, something yes. else that I really, really like about the card game is that it no longer profits her, right? So, yeah. uh, it's a really good way to revisit the, the mm. sort of the, uh, the early childhood memories of Harry Potter. It's, it's a collectible. It's really valuable. At least for me, it's priceless, but it doesn't really benefit her in any way because this is more like a secondary market as at this point. And, you know, because of all the sort of things that she's been involved in and her <laughs> sort of transphobia, mm-hmm. it's sort of, I feel good that I have this card game to connect with the more like with the idea of Harry Potter and not support necessarily her finances. Not that she needs my support. I mean, she's already like so <laughs> rich, right? Yeah. And, you know, it, it's interesting on that. Um, not to go on off a tangent or anything like that, you know what I mean? But um, I remember when I fell in love with the characters and with the story and really felt like the magic. If you asked me as a young kid who the author of these books are, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Because mm-hmm. I, I, all I cared about was just the story and how I related to that. You know, I was like, if somebody was like, oh, who wrote this? I'd be like, um, you, I don't know. You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm opening the book. I'm not looking at the, you know what I mean? Like after, after I see that boy wizard flying on his broom, that's about as far as my eyes go. And then I'm opening up that book. So, so yeah, but, but I, I, I definitely know what you mean. Um, as far as all of the, uh, sort of like political issues that she's going through and just being able to kind of relive that magic that you felt as a young kid without it being connected. So yeah, without that ethical conundrum. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's the thing. I feel like Daniel Radcliffe himself addressed it the best. He said something yeah. to the effect of like, if this book taught you anything about love or just uh, you had any kind of emotional connection to it, like that cannot be taken from you. So I, I think it's important to get that one uh, taken care of on this first episode. Cause yeah, we do, we don't support JK Rowling, even 
even though we're uh, very much fans of her series. Yeah, and also it does. It also adds a little component, maybe to us that have grown up for a while with Harry Potter, right? And definitely since the start of the movies, that whatever you interpret of her work, right, that that memory is priceless, and I, I would never discard those experiences or the experience of me reading with my mom or my friends. But it comes to the point that you can you can hold those experiences as a second reading or you know your interpretation of her work, but definitely not support her <laughs> you yes. know so it's it's a, it's for it's some it's a little complicated for some people some people think that you have to completely throw over the window harry potter but i think that's a little too simplistic and probably maybe not an imp- as important as it is for some people and and finally as mona has highlighted harry potter and and then Radcliffe and first emma watts emma emma it's emma, emma watson her? yeah mm-hmm. so hermione was actually one that first blew up about this mm-hmm. uh daniel Radcliffe actually took a while to sort of <laughs> respond to it oh really so it's it's uh it's interesting but just know for our listeners we respect if you think that you know there's whatever your point of view is on this but just know that this is how we handle it right this is how we reconcile our nostalgia and the place that harry potter had with also not necessarily supporting her transphobic statements because i myself i'm a gay queer man right so i would definitely not have any interest in supporting a person yeah like and i and and i am openly gay as uh as well i don't i don't like saying the word lesbian <sighs> whatever anyway so um <laughs> but yeah i'm I, I just 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 like Emilio said, you know, I I understand that it's also kind of like um like an odd thing, but but some people might not even know the details of of what that is, so we could always create like a different um you know episode talking about that if you guys want. Yeah. Um because yeah. I I also think that, you know, she if you guys read the letter that she posted on her website uh sort of responding to these transphobic remarks that she made, I do think that she has some validity in the way that she feels, not transphobic. But some of the fears that she has, now she's very mistaken in my opinion, and she's not um, coming at it from like a healthy perspective, uh, just from what I read. But but you know, again, it's like I'm I'm a I'm an LGBTQ, I'm, I'm a person in the community, you know. So I can't say, hey, I totally am, am behind J.K. Rowling because she has this beautiful Harry Potter uh, story. That I you, you got to separate them. Just, just like most things, like most stories, you know, people, people love, um, certain movies, for example, and they don't even know who wrote the book. You know what I'm saying? Oh, sure. and so, so it's, oh, yeah. so it's absolutely okay for listeners to be like, oh, well, I like Harry Potter, but that doesn't mean that I like that, that I'm transphobic. Absolutely exactly. not. No, <laughs> absolutely not. Yes. So. Yeah, no, it's important to get this information out there right off the bat so people can feel comfortable listening to this and enjoying it. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the problematic thing with some future Harry Potter media that's coming out. We have Hogwarts Legacy, uh, a video game slated for 2022, and a TV show that's apparently currently in the works. And it's yep. like, as, as as a fan, yes, I am excited for more Harry Potter, but the fact that we all know she's most likely going to benefit from both of those makes you, it, it's very tough to want to actually support it. So, but at least with the trading card game, as you mentioned, which has now been dead for, oh gosh, going on, it's 20 20 years years, now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's completely like Emilio said, there's no, uh, profiting off of this any longer. So that's kind of a, a charm about it in all reality. Yeah, for sure. Um, well then, let's kind of dive into this game itself. Since we're such big fans, we kind of got to bring any of these listeners. I really hope we have some new and excited people to the podcast. Uh, let's explain maybe, 
what kind of cards you can expect with this game, like as far as lessons uh, and the other types of cards, and how does one start to play? I guess let's just do like the very basic, like top down. How do you get started with this? I think if it's okay, Mona, can you take this one? Sure. Because you have uh, Mona has a great video in her YouTube channel about how to play the game. So I think she's already prepped. Uh, <laughs> but if we can also just do it amongst all three, if you want, Mona. Oh. I don't want to put you in the spot. <clears throat> no worries. Yeah, we're all, all of us can, I mean, feel free to, to jump in. Absolutely no problem. So That's wrong. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just mute me and just start going. Um, yeah, so... so you start off with a 60-card deck and one character, so it'll be a total of 61 cards. So the types of cards that you would have are lesson cards, spells, creatures, characters, adventures, items, matches, and locations. So you can have up to four of any card uh, with the exception of lessons, you can have as many as you want. Um, and the objective of the game is to really deplete your opponent's deck. Um, it, Emilio, you called it something earlier. Deck out. Yeah. Deck out, yeah. Decking out. Yeah. yeah. So so that that's, that's the purpose of the game. And so the way that you would do that is um, the beginning of the game, you start with seven cards, each opponent does. And you would use a combination of creatures to do damage or spells to do damage. And when a spell or a creature does damage to your opponent, that is the amount of cards they take from their deck. Unless a card specifically states... Um, do three damage to a creature of your choice or something along those lines, all the other damage is going to be done to your opponent's deck. So some matches, for example, that came out with the Quidditch uh, expansion, they have something as brutal as like having a match in play when the opponent, you know, whoever does, I think it's like 30 damage or something, for example, then the winner would do 15 damage to their opponent. So what yes. would happen is you would you would play a match and then that combination is sometimes done with catch the snitch which which allows you to automatically win that match and do 15 damage to your opponent. So, you know, you play a couple of those plus some spells here and there and your 60 card deck is gone in no time. So that's kind of like yeah, it's kind of like a a short version. That makes sense. And one thing I do want to point out is the types of lessons that are, are available. Mm -hmm. the, the cool thing about it was when it first was released in 2001, they didn't have the Quidditch lesson type in the base right. set. So right. uh, that was to be later released uh, with the Quidditch Cup set, which we're going to cover all the sets in detail on future episodes. But yeah, the, the base set's lessons uh, first initially included charms, potions, transfiguration, and care of magical creatures, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So, And then, yeah, eventually we got Quidditch. Quidditch, which Quidditch, is my sure. favorite of them all. <laughs> right, yeah, uh, brutal. <laughs> yeah, it's very brutal, and yeah. a little bit of chance of that healing there. Mm -hmm. uh, but let's see, I did have a question that I wanted to uh, say earlier, but like, what makes this different from other trading card games, maybe apart from the fact that it's deck out? Is there anything that stands out to you guys from different trading card games? Maybe Emilio can yeah, weigh in Emilio on this. Yeah, that's Emilio all day. Yeah, because <laughs> like Mona and I have said, we don't really play too many others. No, definitely. Uh, one of the main things I pointed out is just that you have your starting wizard is always there, True. right? True. Mm -hmm. So a wizard that can't be removed, and you will always have access to that effect. That is nowhere to be seen, really. Like in Yu-Gi-Oh, you always have, you never have fixed cards that you can access like that. In Magic: The Gathering, there's something similar called the command commander format, which I also play. And there, you still have to cast your commander, so mm -hmm. it's not always you don't start with it in play. 
Interesting. And then in terms of Pokemon, you also have a shuffled hand. Any other games, Naruto, I, I can still keep talking. The main point, you don't have that sort of flex, that consistent sort of piece there. And the closest thing is Magic the Gathering, Commander, or Oathbreaker formats. But in those formats, as I said, you can remove it. You can remove your opponent's Oathbreaker or Commander, and it costs more to bring it up. So they really care that you could feel that you were that wizard. Definitely. And that is super 100%, unique. Yeah. The decking out, the decking out thing, it's also, it's normally a, Win con in most games, uh, in Pokemon, in, in Magic the Gathering, like if you deck out, you lose. But normally games have life points, right? Like you're actually, you're actually depleting your opponent's life points or whatever point they use in the game. In Magic the Gathering is life points. In, uh, in Pokemon, it's prize cards. You draw prizes as you defeat your opponent's Pokemon. And when you draw all your prizes, you win. Mm. So it, it is a really it is a really unique way to deck out uh, to have this deck out system and many people love the deck out mechanic in for example Magic the Gathering. So those if you're a Magic the Gathering player that loves mill mill decks, which is the name of of the mechanic, or to deck out your opponents, Magic, uh, Harry Potter might just force whoever you play with to play by the same rules because it's all deck out. Mm. <laughs> well, and since you have experience with Magic the Gathering, would you say that Harry Potter is more or less an easier uh, trading card game to get started with? Yes. It's the the, the only... And that, thank you for, for that question because that points out the second biggest difference of Magic the Harry... Uh, Magic the Harry Potter. In. <laughs> yes. The, the, That's perfect. The, <laughs> so the, the biggest difference of Magic versus Harry Potter is that Harry Potter doesn't have reactions. So in Magic the Gathering, you have this chains of speed that depending on the type of card, normally instant cards and instant-like speed, you can respond to what your opponent plays. Hmm. Ah. But in, in, Ma- in, in Harry Potter, uh, <laughs> you just have two actions per turn, and those actions can be used to play any variety of cards, normally for one action, unless the card says it needs two actions, like a character or an adventure, and cards that just tell you that you have to use two actions to use, mm-hmm. right? Um and uh, that's that's something that's very particular to Harry Potter, I guess, as well. That sort of that action mechanic um, difference. Oh, and something else that is also very interesting in terms of of that uh, navigation. You can use an action to draw a card. So in other games, you need to have cards that draw you cards. Mm, like ah. in Pokemon, in Pokemon, you started with Bill was the card. Yu-Gi-Oh! You have Pot of Greed. These are all cards that maybe if you're aware of, you've played this game, you're aware of. Ancestral Recall for Magic the Gathering. But here you can actually spend actions to draw cards, which is both a plus and a minus because you're killing yourself, right? Exactly. You're you're decking out. But that is also a, a way of you knowing that they actually cared for people to play the game. Because what a smart or someone that wants to profit even more from their players does is that you have cards that draw your cards be really rare or expensive in the sets, right? Because everyone needs to draw Mm -hmm. cards. But the Harry Potter game, you can use your actions to draw cards, and that's a pretty cool difference, too. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. One of the other things, and and Emilio, you'd probably know this um, more than I would, but one of the things that was pointed out to me when I was discussing, like, gameplay with somebody um, who is more familiar with some other uh, TCGs is they said that in the Harry Potter TCG, you have items and, uh, you know, these like horizontal cards, right? Versus the vertical cards. And so what he was saying was like in your deck, 
or I'm sorry, in your hand, you might like turn your head to read the card that, that's that's in your hand. And so you'd be giving your opponent a way, you'd be you'd kind of giving them like a hint that you have like an item or something like that. It, so do you, in these other TCGs, are there horizontal cards as well? Or like, how, like is that even a good point that, that he made? I wouldn't know, so. Yeah, no, I think it is a good point. You know, in all TCGs, you, if you're very competitive, you're trying mm. to find a way for, you know, to get over your opponent. I, for example, I couldn't play with these glasses with some people oh, wow. because they would just see my hand. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, that, the tilting is interesting. Pokemon has some cards that are horizontal because they're two cards that create one. Mm. Um, oh wow! So That's you will really have cool. to you will have to sort of join them together, and if you if they're in their hand, you will have to sort of tilt a little bit. I think that most players really just memorize their cards at this day in this day and age, right? So uh, the more experienced the player, the less reason to tilt your head. Um, but mm-hmm. I could see that for starting, right? If you're start starting out and like you have your hand in a turn Harry Potter tournament and you tilt your head, then you might give in giving your opponent you have a character adventure or item, right? Those mm-hmm. are the cards that sort of are, are and location like... or match as well. I know only yeah, because yeah. I've been playing with my wife a lot lately, and as there since we go. are noobs to it all, we will see the other person tilt their head and go, "Oh no!" Or <laughs> like you, yeah. you know something's coming. <laughs> but right. there's a lot of cards that share that, right? So it's not as advantageous as sure. you think. I, I do like the concept, though, of vertical cards get discarded versus horizontal cards stay in play. Like, that's right. just a really cool mechanic. Right. And I never, and I never actually thought about that until you mentioned it in our first sort of mini-meeting. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow, they really thought of how to make this as, you know, streamlined as yes. possible. as user-friendly, right. Yeah, I was say as, as gonna say as dumb proof as possible, but I didn't want to say that <laughs> yeah. after after saying that I didn't understand that concept <laughs> after like twenty years with the cards. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> Oh, man. They did a great job. Wow. <laughs> I saw that from the start. It was so obvious. <laughs> exactly. Uh, there we go. Oh, man. Funny. it's That is funny. All right. So then one other question I had about it was how well received was it? I mean, the fact that I was going to comic shops and finding it and being like, I'm going to buy some boosters. I'm just curious how the rest of the nation and other parts of the world received it. That's a, a unique thing we should point out is that this card game was available in various languages as well. Yeah, well, I mean, it says that, I mean, at one point during the sales um, and after its release, it was the second best selling toy or game in the United States. Um, you know, so unbelievable. So, so, yeah, I mean, it's like and, and how many things at that time when we were all kids, right, because we're all kind of around the same age. And so we know the things that came out. So for it to be the second best selling and knowing everything else that was out there, it's like, man, I mean, this this was this was a big deal. So it was clearly received well from from what I can see. Definitely. It was everywhere in Puerto Rico. Like, you could find uh, booster packs anywhere from Kmart to Walgreens to the any sort of gaming store that had video games, had packs all over the place, KB Toys. Mm-hmm. It was everywhere. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I even have blister packs that have... Um, Kohl's stickers on there and I don't know if it, whoever, whoever's not familiar with that Kohl's is like a clothing store <laughs> so I'm like yo yeah. what were you doing in a clothing <laughs> store son like why are you there you know what That's I mean but great. it's like yeah Kmart Walmart Kohl's like pretty much everywhere I was like man this is I mean everybody was hype about about it for sure 
Definitely. Oh man, I bet it was probably back in like Borders uh, when that mm, was a thing. Yeah, uh, but well, Borders no had it for sure. I bought a few packs at Borders. That's very cool. cool. That's I'm cool. glad we all even know what Borders is. Some of our younger listeners might not. <laughs> it's basically uh, Barnes and Noble. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so sad. I know. It is very. Um, so yes, we're all, uh, relating over the fact that we're old, but no, uh, let's move on. Uh, let's see here. Uh, when did this game come to an end? We mentioned that it started in 2001. Do we know exactly when it started in 2001? The month? Uh, I think it was August. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. When I'm pointing that out. Okay. I missed that. But yeah. So then when did this card game come to an end? So it was 2003, I believe that it, that it came to an end. Um, Chamber of Secrets was the last box uh Mm -hmm. they there were some rumors of course that there was like you know another one in in the making but you know who who really knows but yeah 2003 was unfortunately when it when it met its demise so only two years and that's what's the most like like mysterious thing about this whole card game and the fact that it is a dead card game is Mm -hmm. at one point it's on top of the world number two selling best-selling toy in in america and then a year or two later it's just wiped out what happened (laughs) good question uh yeah very very good question so the the only thing that i can find really at a superficial level without without diving deep and really kind of like you know putting uh like my sherlock holmes hat on and going to renton (laughs) or something would be that warner brothers purchased the harry potter franchise so they they bought it out and they said hey uh thanks for doing such a great job but you can't make this anymore we're gonna do our own thing and then they came out with that lame ass uh, Harry Potter cards that that we sometimes see that I personally am not a fan of just because it doesn't it doesn't do the same it doesn't do it justice in my opinion. Um, yes. But that that was pretty much what what I what I knew that it was supposed to be like a cut and dry. Warner Brothers now owns this. You guys can't make this anymore because we're going to do our own thing and profit a hundred percent. So yeah, and and also like cut costs, right? So. Mm-hmm. They were trying to just make as much profit as possible. I, I think there's a there's a one of the admins in the revival group in the Harry Potter revival groups that's on Facebook. Really great group, by the mm-hmm. way. Yes. Uh, his name is Steven, and he pointed out that it it was this that in his knowledge the case was that Warner Brothers wanted full control mm-hmm. of their Harry Potter uh, intellectual property, and then when we put the pieces together, they as Mona said, they come out with these cards that were just. The screenshots of the movie, exactly. right? Exactly. Yes, yeah. I, I have so, some of them. I bought them in a lot, and oh boy, they're not even like a playable game. It's just more or less just uh, collectible memorabilia yeah. stuff, and it, it's very. Uh, you might as well just watch the movie if that's what you're trying to do, because yeah. like, those cards don't do anything. My mom for me. collected them, so I have to respect that. <laughs> yeah, I, I respect it too. Not, as a collector, I definitely respect the hustle of collecting. I definitely did not collect it either, and but ju- just thinking the economical perspective. They had a movie that was, you know, top of the charts, and now you can also just take screenshots, print it, and make yeah. money. You know, instead of paying artists and like mm-hmm. game developers and testing, and so it, it made sense from the money perspective for them, but definitely didn't make sense for in any for other the fans. Realm. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. and you know, and I and I wonder if it were even like you know to dive deeper into that from like an economical perspective. So what what would happen if they just said, hey, because it's ours now, essentially everything with Harry Potter on it is is ours, and so couldn't they just say, okay, well, there's a whole bunch of art here, and we can maybe sell it for more and we could use the same artists and, and do that. That's why I kind of feel like there was something else because 
at this point, I get Warner Brothers is is a movie maker, right? They're they're all about mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, and so they don't they don't necessarily care about how it reflects the books because they're not in yeah. publishing; they're in movie making. So right. they want to make sure that that it has that. So I kind of see it from that perspective. Um, I'm mad about it, but I guess I see it, you know, (laughs) but, but I was just thinking, you know, like if it was like economic, I mean, they could see, they themselves even knew this was a very popular game. So why not just continue with it? And I don't know, as stupid as it may have been, like merge your movie cards with the art or have them both or, you know, whatever the case might've been. Like, I think that that would have been, um, feasible, but who knows? Yeah. Well, the thing I hear that there's a bit, a bit of gaming history, I think comes into play. At the same time, you had Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, and Magic, right? right? And those, even though this was a uh, big seller, I don't really know anyone that was playing Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon or Magic at that time that was also playing Harry Potter, um, at least back home in Puerto Rico. I think gaming mechanic, mechanic-wise, you had Pokemon, uh, you know, you were attacking with your Pokemon and you know, there's so much people that love the Pokemon art in itself. And the gaming, the, the Pokemon League scene was really strong. The Poke- the League scene of Yu-Gi-Oh! was really strong and really, and, and lots of, you know, um, good prices there. And Magic the Gathering has, has always had its strong community. So I think it was part of, like, you know, you have to think about the, the stores doing all these tournaments. They have to choose between, do we run Harry Potter mm. tournaments or Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments or Magic the Gathering or Pokemon, you know? And in the end, you're going to choose the games that have more complexity, I would feel. And I can tell you as a last bit, I went, tried to participate in the Harry Potter League once. And I had also my Harry Potter, my Yu-Gi-Oh deck. And I went and the guy was like, you're the only one here. Oh. Here, have this have this yeah. promo. And I was like, okay, I'm going to play Yu-Gi-Oh. Oh. So, so I get it. You know, those all those things get into into the line. Yeah, well, and so. another thing that I, I I read an article, and I'm curious if this probably led to part of the reason it uh, came to its demise, is that there was a lawsuit filed against Charles Federline, a former mm-hmm. vice president of operations at Wizards of the Coast. And uh, I guess the long and short of it, like, just $93,000 went missing. <laughs> I guess, like, when that happens, yeah, I can understand maybe uh, them just being like, well, we're done with that. We can't just lose, like, a hundred grand over nothing. Mm-hmm. I, I, there's, it's a strange article. Maybe we'll, I'll try to link to that in our show notes for the, any listener that wants to do some uh, investigative journalism. <laughs> yeah, and please, and please share with us, because I, I also read that article, and it was, like, you know, alleging some kind of undermining of the bidding process or something like that, but it says for print work, yeah. and so I'm like, okay, so does that mean, like, some of the art that was printed for the uh, upcoming expansions, or, you know, there was there was kind of a lot of some detail, but it was also very open-ended, um, so I, I myself was a little bit confused about that, too. Yeah. But it's worth mentioning. But yeah, it's just yeah, it's, it's unbelievably strange to know that it it died the way it did, knowing that it was a successful game at one point. And that's, I guess, the next question is, where did it go from there? Like, I know I was only interested in it as an 11-year-old boy, maybe uh, for a few more years. And then my binder ended up in an attic, and then I found it during the pandemic. So I'm, I know a lot of people, like uh, Emilio mentioned, there's like leagues of people playing it, like... And uh, there's Gen Con and everything. Have Did any of you guys have any experience with that? Or I know uh, Emilio alluded to the fact that he was involved in the league. How did, how did that go? Well, you know, I did play like basically once out of the five or ten times I tried because there was no one to play with. I did get the promo cards, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Uh, 
so the t- the part that I I am familiar with of the fall of Harry Potter TCG <laughs> yeah. was that it was on sale everywhere for fifty cents, one dollar oh. per pack. I know. I would go. I would go to EB Games and I would have my twenty dollar allowance and I would just buy all the packs I could. Yes. I, and and then like at some point when they really wanted it out, it was fifty cents. And that's oh why my in my videos I talk of Quidditch Cup being less expensive mm-hmm. because I really saw Quidditch Cup everywhere. No one wanted mm. it. Fifty cents a pack. Uh, but you know that was a long time ago. But definitely, I saw I saw that fall. Definitely, there was something about the game. They had to liquidate it from the you know the big retailers, and they for whatever reason they couldn't keep it, or they were just wanted to clear it out. And it was not because of how it was selling, as you all pointed out. It was high top there on the sales chart. So that's part me. I'm missing puzzle of the of the, of the disappearance of whatever happened to the Harry Potter TCG game. Yeah, and you know, maybe maybe once we get into each expansion, we can kind of touch on why, because I don't know if you guys agree with this or not, but I think that um, Quidditch Cup is like the least popular of the five expansions. Yeah. So yes. like like when you said like, nobody wanted it, I was like, well, it's kind of still the same till this day. Everybody's like, I'll sell it. And we're like, man, get that shit out of here. Like, you know, I don't know why it's like that, though. So we can definitely touch on that for a bit. I think it comes down to the rares. Quidditch- yeah, and Quidditch was loved though. Like, no, you know, yeah, for the, sure, for sure. It was it, there was uh, this turmoil and this chaos when they took out Quidditch. They even considered taking out Quidditch out of the movies, right? So oh. yeah, I don't know. I don't know what was the the hate there for Quidditch, other than maybe it was overprinted uh, around the same era of what this all this was going on. Pokemon, Yu Gi Oh, Magic: The Gathering. Wizards of the Coast did overprint a few sets. So mm-hmm. given that you had this younger audience, right? And you know that they might just buy the packs because they wanna. They saw Harry Potter on it. Maybe they overdid it. You sure, know, sure. <laughs> and I, I don't have information of print runs. And if anyone listening does, we would love to find yeah. out. Oh yes, please. And that's one thing uh, we'll probably say it towards the end. But we we have a Gmail account. We're gonna hook you guys up with all the links to get in touch with us uh, after this show wraps up. But. Uh, uh, that's another thing I was going to ask is, uh, Mona, did you ever play this game competitively or were you just playing uh, with friends? You know, I when I was young and I saw these these cards and I um, I collected them, put them in binders too, but I actually did not have anyone around me that was interested in Harry Potter the way that I was or am. Like The only time that I ever found like as nerdy people who are interested in Harry Potter is when I joined the uh, Facebook group, the Revival group. Because even till this day, like no one in my life, like in my circle is really interested in it. So I have to like beg my wife to please play with me. I'm like, can you just play a game? And she's like, oh, fine. You know, Um, so so no, I was not I was not in any of the leagues. I didn't play um, competitively or any of that kind of stuff. I actually just started playing the game a couple years ago, maybe like a like almost two years ago, because I introduced the game to um, a buddy of mine. and. I actually like gave her full reign to all of my cards, said build a deck and keep it. And then, you know, like her and I played a little bit. Um, that was kind of a mistake and we'll get to that oh, later. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, we'll get to that later <laughs> on. But um There were unicorns involved? <laughs> I'm sure there were, yeah. There was probably everything. And it's not even the money part or the cards. It's just yeah. I feel like she kinda took it overboard and I was like, uh but anyway. Um 
And then I met, uh, and then I met a good friend of mine through the revival group that I play with every week now. So him and I, oh, uh, awesome. yeah, so him and I Skype and we play, um, a few times a week, almost every time we play, it's like at least 10 games. So, um, yeah, Whoa. so it's, but, but yeah, like I'm almost like catching up, you know, I'm playing the game with, with him because in the, uh, in the past I never got to, so. Yeah, that's kind of my that's situation great. as well. I, I just started playing this past year and I was worried I wouldn't have anyone. When I found the cards, I was like, this is going to be a tough sell to my wife as well. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, she's not even a big Harry Potter fan or never mm. played a TCG in her life. And lo and behold, after a few matches, she was like, I'm thoroughly interested and I, I have a lot of fun with this. And that was another thing that really sold it for me was like another friend of mine, again, not a Harry Potter fan. Don't think he's played a single trading card game. We, he saw me and my wife play. And was like kind of like our referee for a match, and then he was like, "All right, now you got to deal me in." And then right. we got him playing. Sure. And by the end of it, he was like, "I love this game." So I think it's an easy game to love mm-hmm. and have fun with. Uh, and that's one thing I forgot to ask earlier: is like, how long does it take for like the average match? Would you say? Because currently, right now, it's only a one versus one scenario. Mm-hmm. Or a, yeah, and I think certain revival cards are eventually trying to open that up, so there could be more players involved, but we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But how long do you think the average match lasts? I mean, I would say for me, um, 30 minutes would be average. You know, I've had uh, definitely um, shorter matches with just like brutal decks, and then, you know, <laughs> yes. I've had longer matches where um, I have a character deck that takes a very long time to play with because the majority of the cards are characters and right. um you know so like reading what each one does each time and you know because like i sometimes i just forget and i'm like okay you got these cards out so it would be best if i did you know what i mean so so that on its own i mean could take up to 45 minutes uh depending on the deck and but yeah i would say average probably 30 in my opinion that seems accurate to me as well um so then now i guess we can kind of talk about where is the game now uh, i know we were saying how like cheap the game was at one point in time prices are crazy right now and also there is a, f- a fan-made revival uh the air of slytherin and there, like we've alluded to it earlier there's a facebook group we're going to be linking to that in our show notes as well definitely go give them some love and join that group because a lot of passionate individuals and a lot of harry potter trading card content there mm-hmm, uh but definitely. yeah uh where is the trading card game now yeah well for for you know for those that are interested just know that the revival group is doing like some really high quality scans. So if you're interested in trying out the game, you can do some proxies and stuff like that. So you don't have to don't have to care right now about you know where the game is at economically mm-hmm. uh, or, or the cost of the game because it is a dead card game, right? And as you have heard us, it is really really flavorful and it's really cool to play. So if you want to try it out and you don't, don't want to spend money on cards, you can definitely just check out the, the proxies and proxy some cards or whatever. Yeah, I think that's an important thing to point out for sure, for sure Amelia. Yeah, yeah I, yeah, I do think that's important because some people, especially who are just kind of realizing that uh, Wizards of the Coast had a Harry Potter training card game, because even, even those in our age group had mm-hmm. no idea, right? I mean, because they were so interested in something else, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Magic the Gathering, uh, what have you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, definitely keep in mind that you don't have to be intimidated by the $3,000 Chamber of Secrets box um, or anything <laughs> like that. And please ignore that. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yes. definitely proxies for sure. And as far as where the game is now, um, I think it's very much alive. I think that it's 
Um, it's a small community, but it's growing. But I also believe that the community is divided. Uh, in my opinion, there are collectors, and then there are there are those who play the actual game. There are hybrids of the two, and then there are just these outliers that I don't really understand what they're doing. But I think in general, there's a lot of talk about the Harry Potter TCG, which is both good and bad. But I think that's like anything. I mean, when something gets a lot of attention, you'll get positives and negatives from it anyway. Sure. Um, but yeah, so so in my opinion, it's very much alive, and um, and I mean, I'm I'm happy about that. You know, there's there's obviously, like I said, there's a lot of negatives, and a lot of people have stuff to say about that because of the prices. Um, but you know, I wouldn't have been able to get as involved or even complete my collections, for example, without getting without getting into the community. Um, you know, because Absolutely. because otherwise, where was I going to get cards? I mean, I I got cards when I, like years ago from Poke Order, but I think someone had experience with them by because they sold them some resealed packs. And but you know, yeah. back in the day, that that was the only place I knew to get my cards. Um, you know, we're talking like they're pricey. Yeah, yeah exactly. Then. We're talking like seven years, seven eight years ago. Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, like so. There's there's definitely some positives, but I would say it's 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 living so. Yeah, Definitely. and in terms of the the community uh, and the game, I do think you know when you have people making fan made sets, that's a great sign. You have people using both. Um, you can go actually. There's this YouTube channel that uh, they have a lot of games recorded. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the name of that channel? Oh, is it uh, Home Base Games? Home Base Games. Right. Yes, I'm yeah. a big yeah, fan. I've watched their stuff. They have too. lots of of play of games there, and you can see both cards traditional cards and also from the fan made sets and mixes mm-hmm. so that's really cool in terms of the division in the community I, it's very common first of all uh when this card when this card re- game was released there was not that widespread communication with smartphones and stuff like that so you have to also take that into account now that you have smartphones and and people are actually turning an eye into collectibles uh that's going to reflect on the volatility of a game right both in his popularity, his pricing, and all these things. So it has become really popular all of a sudden, and I think mostly because of the group, the work that the Revival Group has done, because that Hair of Slytherin set really attracted a lot of people uh, back into the game. And in terms of community dynamics, you will always have this sort of pushback no matter what you're talking about you can be talking about politics you can be talking mm-hmm. about uh classical versus new school and whatever you want to talk about it and there's always going to be people that want to maintain communities under a certain set of standards that are sometimes exclusionary mm-hmm. because they're not really putting everyone together and there might be good or bad reasons for that but it's very it's a very natural process to reject things that you don't understand or have been new in your community. But it's even more important, you know, if, if, if anything that's based on the books or <laughs> Harry Potter or just being a, a decent human being, to be able to reflect on that sort of pushback that you initially have and then see what's going on and what's promoting it and if it's really reasonable what you're doing in the long term, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think for listeners, just, you know, I don't know where you stand and what's on your mind, but... I think there's room for everyone. Uh, in my channel, I try to combine all different aspects of the game, from gameplay to finance. Um, and I don't think that they're in any way uh, oppositional, right? Right. Uh, but if you learn more on that on my channel, if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah check it out for sure. 
Yeah, and that's uh, that's the thing. You mentioned the Air of Slytherin set. Like, the attention to detail there with the artwork, I feel like it does feel like as if Wizards of the Coast was responsible for it. Like, as somebody coming back to the card game, like I, s- I described it, like finding my old dusty binder and being like, oh, these cards again. Uh, mm-hmm. These new cards, it just feels like that that magic is just reinvigorated. Uh, it's renovate the spell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but right. no, I, I feel like... Uh, it is very enticing for new people to come back. And it was more or less like this, the ceiling of the deal for me of like, Oh, I like these cards. I'm going to play again with my wife. But the fact that now 20 years later, we have a fan made revival set. It seems like there's more life to this game uh, now than there was 20 years ago. So I'm excited to see what the future has in store for this. And I guess that kind of leads us to like the next question is what, where do we see this game going in the future? Do we see like a comeback from Wizards of the Coast? I know there's very small rumors going around, but I've heard uh, various arguments of why that most likely will never happen. But what are your thoughts on where this card game's going? Yeah, you know, I I personally think that there are um as as Emilio and you mentioned Doug that there's a lot of efforts in the community to like revive the game. Um, and they've done a great job in doing so, and I think they will continue to do that. So I know that there are definitely some sets in the works. They've they've sort of mentioned that a little bit. Um, and I think that that's where the majority of the life of the game will continue to grow. I'm not too certain about Wizards of the Coast. I, I would love for them to be able to just say, hey, uh, this is great. There's a lot of popularity, whatever. But we also have to remember that they did stop printing for a reason. And we don't know what that reason is. You know, I mean, even... Yeah. Even the most knowledgeable of the Harry Potter TCG, uh, even the most knowledgeable person of this game, um, can can still only give the little bit of information that all of us collectively know. They they don't they don't work at Wizards of the Coast. They didn't work there. They might know somebody who works there, but again, we're talking twenty years ago. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, but an average civilian is not going to really know what's happening with a multi million dollar company and uh, was in Warner Brothers purchasing it. You know what I'm saying? So like. Right. So I would love for them to say, hey, we're totally going to get back into this, um, but I'm just kind of keeping my expectations <laughs> a little bit more realistic. Um, sure. But yeah, it's definitely yeah. Uh, definitely going to be alive with the, the fan sets and, um, and, of course, fingers crossed for anything else. Well, and, and just to add to that, I do think that there's a critical window that must be met uh, because you did have a very, very specific event of the pandemic to go on. So you had people staying at home, mm-hmm. spending more time in card games and board games in general. Board games are also sort of like blowing up right now. For sure. So if the revival group had a good sort of moment in which a card set like the Chamber of Secrets, which had lots of lots of negative things in terms of design, because how can you have a Chamber of Secrets set without the Basilisk or without a sort of Gryffindor, right? Right, right. But then the rival group did make those cards that I wanted to see in that right, set, right. right? Yes. So now you have a lot of people re- like are interested again in the game. It brings back the proxy because you don't have to be purchasing this. It's not making anyone money in the rival group. Right. It's all very has been very carefully designed and communicated so it's not a selling you know it's not to profit mm-hmm. and now that you have the people on board you just have to act in the timely window to release the next set and keep people hooked mm-hmm. yeah. but if you lose that window i don't know uh it'll stay alive mm-hmm. 
but it might stop growing as it has. Mm-hmm. That makes perfect sense. I, the fact that there's other sets in the works is very exciting. And like we said earlier, that it opens the, the door of multiplayer or yeah. having more than two people facing off at once. I'm excited to see the, how that'll play out, but I'm also nervous how that'll affect certain cards and everything. And that was one other thing I wanted to ask since we ended like kind of abruptly with Chamber of Secrets being the last of the sets and actually the largest of them all because it was apparently i think mm-hmm. it was rumored that there was probably going to be realistically two sets right. and they kind of just jammed it all together right. um i was reading an article and i know the person who wrote it was they were coming from a negative perspective on the game but they were saying something to the effect that uh certain cards were left broken and i personally and me just getting back into the game haven't really experienced that but they were saying like Wizards probably, if they were going to make future sets, would have fixed, uh, like counterbalanced the broken cards. And I guess that is the, the responsibility now of the revival team. But I, I'm just not even quite sure what cards they're referring to. And I'm curious if either of you may have any insight on that. Well, probably the, the one turn kills, right? If you have something like the borrow with this nothing potion, I think. Is oh, example. that's right. Yep. So I think that when you say a card is broken, it's like it will win you the game if you play it, basically, right? So there's some combos that are broken. Yeah, so the only thing that comes to mind after what you just said, Emilio, is Caught by Snape. So Caught by Snape, uh, for those that don't know, is an adventure card from the Chamber of Secrets set. It's an uncommon, um, and essentially it locks your opponent in place they're unable to do anything except for play lesson cards and in order to solve the adventure they would have to play three lesson cards so that that's really all you can do so as opposed to another adventure for example where um i think it's escaping the dursleys it says basically the same thing your opponent can only play lesson cards however to solve it they they discard their hand um so whereas caught by snape you're unable to do anything else except for just playing lesson cards so let's say for example you play caught by snape twice or you you get it from your uh discard pile you play it again or you have multiple copies depending on your conditions because i understand that it's also restricted or even banned uh which we can get into that banned and restricted card list at a different time um sure but you know, so essentially what would happen is if you play it towards the end, you wouldn't have lessons left. And so you would just be drawing and drawing and drawing, and then you would just lose. So you wouldn't even have an opportunity to sort of defend yourself or fight back, if you will, right? So it's almost like you're locked in place. Right. Um. So perhaps that's what they mean by broken. But um, but yeah, I mean, there's there these these cards were, were typed up, printed, and put into booster packs. So I wonder if, if that's kind of what they meant or, um, yeah. I see what you mean. That, that that was a perfect answer to what I was uh, getting at. And then I guess that's kind of like, uh, I, I feel like we've done a pretty good job of wrapping up the history of the card game. And I hope uh, listeners are excited about our podcast mm-hmm. and what we have in store for you guys. And I think maybe before we wrap this one up, we should probably just discuss what can our listeners expect from us from future episodes? Like what are, what are we really going to be getting into? And uh, I guess, uh, Amelia, do you want to start this one off? Sure. I think, at least from from my uh, contributions, I just played almost all the games that I could play, right. <laughs> that I could possibly <laughs> play. Um, so I think I will just I'm mostly be offering that sort of cross-referencing with, you know, similarities or differences with other games and just the history because I've been, you know, sniffing cardboard since I was like six. So, <laughs> you know, that might explain some of my behavior, so much cardboard <laughs> fumes in my in my brain. But 
that's my main contribution. I say that I can really, if you play other games that is not Harry Potter, I think with my commentary, I, I'll help you sort of understand a little bit more of how it relates to the games you've played. And as I said, just a little bit of old old people history uh, with other collectibles and card games, at least from my part, and just the freakouts with flavorful cards because I don't care about powerful cards. I don't care about you know like what deck will win the fastest. I just want to play stupid cards <laughs> that are just like make no sense, and your opponent goes like, "Huh?" Yeah. Like, and just to give an example, my favorite card in Magic Gathering is called Divine Intervention, and that card basically makes everyone draw if two turns pass. So if this card is in play for two turns and the ter- the second turn hits, everyone draws. Mm. And that's my favorite card. Nice. And that tells you how stupid I am. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> love it. Yeah, Absolutely so cool. love it. There's one of those cards in the Revival set. I believe it's called Eat Slugs. And you do two damage to yourself and then draw a card or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I just don't know why you do damage yeah, to yourself. who knows? Yeah. <laughs> But how about you, Mona? What would you like to see from us in the future? Yeah, well, um, you know, what I really hope that this podcast does um, is is bring to life what the trading card game was created for, which is fun, um, beautiful art, and just really diving into the magical world that is Harry Potter as we know it. Um, you know, on what, what I, what I would like to bring is the same thing that I bring to my YouTube channel, um, which is really just going into the, um, like, so like the vintage stuff and the similarities in the art, because a lot of people are familiar with the art from the trading card game or from some of the vintage items that we've seen growing up. Um, but, but not, not both together. So, you know, like you might have a, there was a calendar that I found the other day that has the same art as the base set booster box where like, you know, the, the trio nice. or actually the four of them are going up to the castle, you know? Mm-hmm. So I just love seeing that stuff. Um, so yeah, definitely getting into gameplay, uh, deck building. I'm a collector like the most of you are out there. Um, love, love having multiples of the cards, love having sealed product and open product. So, um, you know, kind of talking about all of that with, um, with me is, is what I'm, what I'm hopefully going to contribute as well as foreign stuff. So I have a lot of foreign cards. Um, and I, I just, I'm, I'm in love with all of them in every single language. So, um, so definitely kind of bringing out the, the, the romance and the spice to all that stuff is, is what you'll hear from me. Super cool. Yeah, definitely. And listener, I, I'm more or less the noob. I'm more or less like you, hopefully, uh, coming to our show. And that's the thing. I hope even people that are veterans and have been playing the game for years can come to our show and find something educational and new and entertaining. Uh, we also are hopefully gonna do some future interviews with people involved, uh, with the revival and all sorts of exciting stuff with that. And one thing I know I would like to particularly do, but I don't have the logistics on it figured out quite yet is, uh, give our listeners opportunities to win booster packs that I create myself. So I have so many, uh, duplicates of cards that I would love to create just some commons and uncommon decks and like give you guys some lessons just to kind of get started. Even if you're hesitant to start printing your own proxies, you could have some actual cards to like really start building some decks and actually playing the game so i i think our show will provide you with plenty of resources if you're excited about the harry potter trading card game revival you found the right show and the right people and that's the thing let's all take this time to plug our individual channels of where we can be found on the internet for our our listeners so let's start with emilio so my youtube channel is nostalgia collectible investments and basically what you'll find there is a lot of 
lore and gameplay of different games, but mainly Harry Potter, Neopets, Maple Story CCG, Weaver and CCG, Middle Earth CCG. You also find like what are the rarest cards for these games, and finally the finance information of the price movement. So I keep up with you know when stuff change. I'll make videos about what was the price spikes and who probably bought it because I am pretty plugged in in terms of people that are in the collectible world and just like projecting, right? Like just like making, letting people know what are the prices, if those prices are potentially stable or not, and just things to look out for. Um, because I, my philosophy is that, you know, a strong sort of uh, market and known market for the prices of sealed products and cards helps the game in the long term to be stable and it's not restrictive to the player base, right? Like, if you want to play this game, we've talked multiple times, the player, the the, the sets made by the Revival Group are all proxy, basically. You can just print them. Do we, there'll be, there's a, like a high-quality proxy list if you want to do high-quality proxies for yourself. So the price point should not be a barrier to of entry to this game. But for those of you that like the collectible market, that like to collect all these things, then I will guide you in my channel to, you know, what's uh, what's happening in the, in the price movements, in addition to all the other nerdy stuff, like interviews and stuff like that. Awesome. Very cool. And how about you, Yeah, Mona? very cool, Amelia. Uh, so for me, I have a YouTube channel called Into the Flu. And what I cover in that channel um, is all vintage Harry Potter merchandise as well as the Harry Potter TCG because that's also considered a vintage Harry Potter merchandise. Um, so <laughs> I'll do some um, booster pack openings, some booster box openings, get into deck building, um, go over some of like really good cards, really good combinations, as well as some of the like toys and figurines that you would have found in the early 2000s. Um, you know, so a lot of the stuff that like Hasbro and Mattel has, has worked on and what they've released. Um, I really try to stick with just like pre movie, um, pre film merchandise, if you will. So it kind of like mimics the art that we see in the TCG because that's like my absolute favorite when it comes to Harry Potter anything. So you'll, you'll find that I kind of will find something like a puzzle or something, for example, that's like the Forbidden Corridor alternate art, and then I'll show you the card, you know Ooh. what I mean? And so, so then you'll realize yes. like, oh, wow, like that's, that's the same exact thing. So some people might, might have had these items as a young kid and some people might have not. Um, so you'll, you'll, you'll notice that I kind of dive into all that stuff as well as like, um, the Potter decks, right? So it's kind of like the Pokey decks that, that people are familiar with. So Tiger Electronics made. Uh, a Harry Potter version of it. And so just kind of like looking into all of those things um, is something that I love to do, uh, as well as like uh, mail day openings. Like if I get something in the mail that I've been waiting for for months and I forget what's in it, I'll open it with you guys so you can all see as well. Uh, so yeah, just, yeah, just, oh, just totally. fun stuff like that. And I also have an Instagram at Harry Potter Morrissey. My last name is Morrissey, M-O-R-S-Y. So it's uh, that's the handle at Harry Potter Morrissey. And I'll just post uh, different pictures of, of the items that I have, sh- kind of showcasing my collection. A lot of people ask me just to kind of see my collection. And so oh, yeah. little by little, you'll, you'll get bits of that. So, Listeners, I'm as excited as you to see some of the things Mona's collected over the years and, and Emilio. I feel like I'll, I probably have the smallest collection of the, of the three of us, but <laughs> uh, co- together we'll all <laughs> show off our, our uh, collections. And listener, uh, you can find me uh, and my wife playing Harry Potter trading card game on twitch.tv slash abtsilence uh, every Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So definitely st- stop in if you're free and uh, want to see some live play of the game. And abtsilence 
Silence actually stands for Almost Better Than Silence. It's another podcast I host with <laughs> friends. We've been doing it since 2014, and it's a video game podcast. Very goofy. If you like comedy, you might enjoy that show. Uh, but that's where you can find me on the internet. But I think this is pro- that's probably going to do it for this uh, first episode of the show. I hope you guys are excited, and uh, thank you guys for joining us. We will be back uh, hopefully next month with our second episode discussing the first set, the base set of cards. So thanks for listening. Well, you can't you can't escape that easily though. Uh, <laughs> oh be- no! Be- before we finish, uh, we have to give a thanks, uh, both Mona and myself, to Doug because he was the one who organized, you know, even. <laughs> creating this podcast uh you know he's putting all his resources and experience into making this work and contacting us and sort of like being very open about what could be in the podcast and guiding mona and i at least for myself i am technologically um special Special. (laughs) so i even though i'm a scientist myself i am really bad with tech in general (laughs) that's not outside of the lab so thank you so much, though, for, you know, guiding us and just creating, just being so friendly from the start and just, I would have never agreed to a podcast ever. I don't, I don't particularly um, listen to podcasts outside of work. So sure. it just like relates to work for me. But, you know, you made it sound so exciting and you were so, so welcoming that I just said, yeah, I have to do this. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And yeah, as, as, absolutely. Thank you for that. Um Emilio, and thank you, Doug, definitely for for introducing this idea. You know, it was like right after I had um, put in the Facebook group that I was starting the YouTube channel, and Doug was like, "Hey, uh, so I was thinking about doing a podcast," and I'm like, "Heck yeah! Like, let's do that!" You know, because to, for me to be involved in the community in any kind of way is is a phenomenal feeling. I mean, I love that. I love that I can make some friends and play the game and and have other collectors that we all have something in common, but to actually dive into the conversations and and make content that other people in the community will listen to is something that I really uh, loved about starting the YouTube channel and then now being able to do the podcast just makes me feel uh, definitely... thankful so so yes thank you doug and emilio i mean I'm, I'm really happy that we're able to have this trio and um you know i think you guys are both great yeah i'm i'm super excited about this team i couldn't ask for a better team and that's the thing when i w- set out to do this i'm like i need to find people that are going to be on my level as passionate about this topic as i am and i feel like <laughs> that's hard to find and then i found you two on youtube i'm like this is it and i i honestly didn't expect to get a yes because every i've pitched many of podcasts before and the get turned down so the fact that you guys were interested i think it's fate i'm very Me excited too. to see what the future has for this show but uh listeners, please get in touch with us. That's one thing I want to plug before we forget is our email address. It's renovatepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, by all means, get in touch with us. Let us know if you found any information out about the history that we may have glossed over. We'd love to read your email live on the on a future episode. And yeah, it's just uh, look forward to more content from us. And uh, for now, that's going to be it. It's time for us to disappear like Dobby. <laughs> <laughs> See you guys next time. Thanks. Bye. See ya.